Well, here we are for a daytime edition of Boilers Extra. I feel like we need to make a uh, differentiation between whether or not we're doing this in a parking lot in a the bed of, or not the bed the cab of a pickup truck that would be really interesting um or if we're here in the in the beautiful journal and courier studios we're, we're not we're not vampires i'm nathan baird i'm not at least i don't know about you i'm not i'm not i'm much i am pretty pale but i'm not a vampire uh nathan baird speaking to you now from the journal and courier he's mike carmen um you're listening to boilers extra i wanted to say up front we need to, to let people know, and I'm putting this out on social media, if you subscribe to us through iTunes or have previously done that, I think that account that previously was the Indy Star Sports Day account, I think that's going away. I think we're all getting separate accounts, but regardless of that, we do have our own account if you want to follow us now. I'll be putting that link out, but if you do a search on any number of places now, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, uh, Google Play. There's a couple others that we're trying to get it on. You just do a search for Boilers Extra and we should come up. You can follow us under any number of places. And if, if there's somewhere else that you like to listen to podcasts and we're not there, let me know. Send me a DM or, or email me at inbaird at jconline.com and we'll try to get it to the right place. So now, any number of podcatchers. I just want yes. to use that word. To- I, was, I was going to ask if podcatcher still applies. I believe it does. Now they're just they're more podcatchers than ever before. So uh, kind of like Purdue, all of a sudden, all these catchers are showing up to, to catch <laughs> passes and pods. So uh, anyway, again, we'll we'll put that back out on social media. All the links are actually already up there if you look through my tweets, but um, I'll put it out again so people know where to find it. So anyway, um, Purdue is zero three after three games after um, Saturday night's loss to Missouri, forty to thirty seven, and just kind of wanted to start off here. You know, we both, I think, when we did our preseason, predicted Purdue to either be three and zero or two and one. Right now, we I thought we both thought they'd be three and one after the first four games. So now that they're zero and three, is Purdue a good football team? Is Purdue a bad football team? They have a bad record, in my opinion. Which the record—it's not my opinion; it's fact. They have a bad record. You can't get any worse <laughs> after three games than zero and three. When you have zero and at the, for the start, you you have a bad record. But I'm not sure they are a bad football team yet. Yet they've done some bad things. The penalties are bad. Uh, the turnovers early in the in the in the first game against Northwestern were bad. Um, mental breakdowns bad. Physical breakdowns bad from a defensive standpoint as far as tackling and fundamentals and stuff like that. Yes, all those things are an earmark of kind of a bad football team. And you know the penalties, although they were less, keep popping up last week so you haven't they haven't really rid themselves of of this part of their bad but i i do think there's a lot of things that they're doing that would lead you to believe that they wouldn't fall under the the bad football team category they they continue to outgain their opponents from offense whether it's rushing passing you know total yardage and all that so they're finding a ways to generate yards i think that's you know that's a that's a positive. Um, you know, defensively, I think they're they're getting better in some areas. Um, now, granted, they didn't get a lot of pressure last week, uh, and I think a lot of that was probably more by choice than than physical play. They they started to get some pressure late in the game. They rotated some defensive linemen, and which seemed to help. And uh, they they pushed Drew Locke off his spot a little bit more than they did uh, earlier in the game. You know the linebacking play hasn't been. You know it, it, it's been okay. I think it's getting guys like Cornell Jones and Derek Barnes are getting a little bit better. 
every game. Bailey, um, you know, he's the centerpiece of that defense. He's also the centerpiece of what the offense mm-hmm. wants to block. So his numbers are not like last year because he doesn't have Jawan Bentley and TJ McCollum around. So right. his, his which his, we we expected. Yeah, that. his numbers are going to take a hit a little bit. You still have Rondell Moore on offense. You know, I think a, a good positive last week was that Terry Wright and Isaac Zico made some plays. Um, and then, you know, David Blau had the, you know, the game of his life, uh, school record type of game. Uh, so I, I think there's enough there that they're, they're not, ju- they're not what you would consider just a, an 0 3 team. You know, the schedule, you know, Eastern Michigan set them aside. That was a free square that Purdue didn't take advantage of, no question. You know, I guess you question a little bit Northwestern. They have right. won. They don't look as <laughs> that doesn't look as as good of a loss as it did. No, you know Missouri. They're going to lose some games here in the next two or three weeks based on the SEC teams they play. But I think at the end of the year they could they could easily be a an eight nine win team going into the going into their bowl game. And yeah, so uh, you know that was just, that was a bad matchup for Purdue, a young defense against an experienced offense and. I think that that really showed. So overall, I, I don't think they're a bad team. I'm not saying they're a good team because, as Jeff said, and I would completely agree with him, good teams don't beat themselves. Good teams don't have these kind of mistakes. Uh, it's just a matter of weeding. You know, it's kind of like that infection you have in your body. You've got to weed it out. You got to get it out of your system, and then you, you hope that at some point it 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 clicks for them when they. You know, when they get to a point in a game that they don't have the the silly mistakes, and then you then you change your narrative a little bit, and that's what they're trying to do right now. Just change their narrative by getting a win, and then see what happens after that. I guess it depends on a person's individual perspective. Do they look at it as a binary choice between either you're a good team or you're a bad team, or is it more of a bell curve where? There's a little bit at one end that's good. There's a little bit at the other end that's bad. And then most of it is just all in this big middle of adequacy. And on one day, you're good. Or one day, you might win with the same performance, and one day, you might lose. And I think that's a little bit what has happened to this team. Yes, they've cost themselves directly with some undisciplined play, especially in the Eastern Michigan game. I look at this. After these three games, I see a team that has one bad loss. Losing Eastern Michigan at home, especially the way they did, was a bad loss. And then you have two disappointing losses. And they're disappointing because the opportunity was there to win them. You know, they're not getting boat raced even by, it looked like they might against Missouri. It was 27 to 10. Missouri was getting anything it wanted. It looked like they were maybe going to run away with that. And, and, and really look at the first half of that Northwestern game where it looked like they might similarly pull away. And both cases, Purdue did show some resiliency. Maybe the way, especially Northwestern approach that second half played a part in how close that game got. I don't know, but there was, you're seeing a team that's able to stick in there against really good opponents, even when it doesn't play that well, it's at least giving itself a chance and it's just not capitalizing on it. So it sounds almost, I know there's people who are going to hear this and it's make it seem like we're making some kind of excuse for them. I'm certainly not doing that because what I'm saying is you do have to find a way to win those games. And so is Jeff Brom. And I think so are you. So that that's what is interesting though. You know, a quarter of the way into the season, you've got a team that in certain aspects has maybe even played, a little bit better than we thought they could at certain positions, but it's still looking at an 0-3 start. And how do you reconcile that 
with with where can this team how do you then I was trying to ask players this after the game and it's not a good setting for that after right after a loss but then how do you sort of recalibrate what you're expecting out of a season what still makes this season a success because now you've got to win two-thirds of the rest of your games to make a bowl and I we're going to talk a little bit about the Big Ten in a second I know it had a, a rough weekend last weekend but it's it's not that bad of a league, especially considering the matchups that Purdue has. Well, when you look at the West, I mean, there's opportunities there, maybe more than what what you thought at the beginning of the year. But even if you go back to last year, Purdue had a three game losing streak. Although they played Wisconsin well, you lost at Rutgers, which would be a bad loss. You lost a one point game to Nebraska, so you're sitting there in a in a situation where okay, you're losing games. And are you are you a bad team then, or just the fact that you won enough games to go to a bowl game? Does that make you right. a good team? They had moments of uh, of bad last year that they were able to overcome because of uh, more experienced players on defense. Uh, they don't they don't have that. They don't have the group right now. I mean, the offense last week would have would have been the group that you could have they should have bailed you out a little bit. Um, so. It's just kind of where they're at now, and no way are we making excuses for them. Uh, we did expect growing pains from from this team, especially defensively, and yep. I think we're seeing that. I think offensively, yes, they they in my opinion they still haven't taken that step that I thought that they first of all they needed to take, and that they so even though they've put up big yards, they haven't scored a lot of points other than maybe last week. So I think there's still more there offensively that can come, and obviously there's more there defensively that can come. It's just if you can get it together on the right day and avoid all those silly penalties that keep, that keep popping up, you know, at just at the at the absolute wrong time. It just baffles me the whole special teams penalty last week, where the guy's running on the field. He's better off just standing on the sideline and going with right. ten because right. you're going to get the ball back. Right. Now you get they got bailed out with the interception, but you also you know you also lost valuable time, a ton of time. Yeah, you it, lost it, valuable it, time, and if you how, how that game played out, right? Maybe if you hold Missouri to a field goal, you have you know a minute or so left in that game to try to to get back uh, and tie it uh, or win it. Uh, so things like that just just come back and just continue to bite you. And they've got to figure out a way to, to fix that. We've It's become so much a cliche the way we've talked about the the thin margin and for error this team has. And Jeff Brom was the one who first like kind of brought that up after the first game, after the Western game, said, hey, this team's got a much smaller margin of error than last year, which means there's just going to be more volatility in the results. Last year, this was a team that had an identity. I thought from, you know, from the Louisville game on, but especially from, you know, the Missouri game on last year, this team's physical defense was its identity. It could hang its hat on that every single week, and I think that stabilized the team. And it, it would it helps you get through games you might otherwise lose. Maybe you know it, it just kind of gives you a foundation. And this team doesn't have that. And I think there's just going to be more volatility. And so far, the 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 volatility they keep coming up on the wrong end of it every time. But it's not necessarily. I think. If you play these games, you know the old adage: if you play them ten times, I don't think they lose ten out of ten times all three of these games. I think it's it's pretty even, but it's just because they're they they can't make up for these these small mistakes. Like you're talking about, if if they don't have to call that timeout on the first drive of the second half, and then only end up with a field goal, 
that changes a lot of things that happen into that game. If they don't have that penalty on that punt, even though they get the ball back, how much more time does that give them? Just little things like that. The Whatever movement Jared Sparks was or was not making as he went to the ground in the end zone, that's the margin between winning and losing with this team right now. It is just that small, and you can't, you're not going to win over the course of a season with that much volatility. So now, does that mean it could also swing back in the other direction if they start correcting some things? Maybe, but it, I think it's we're gonna. This team's just gonna have that level of volatility all season. I don't know if they can completely overcome that. Well, last year, because of the defense, Jeff Brom called his game differently, called his offense differently because of the defense that he had. Yeah, because he wasn't as aggressive with a lot of his play calling last year. He even admitted it in some games that he just he scaled it back because of the defense this year. And I think the Missouri game was has been the prime example so far that he knew that he, he needed points. He had to have points against that team because his defense was going to give up points. And that I think that went into his game plan for Missouri, regardless of the, who the quarterback was going to be. And just they, they got to figure out a way to score points. Now the goal is when you get in the red zone, you get touchdowns. They got, they got a few more Saturday than they had in the past, but now you need to be perfect almost when you're getting touchdowns. So the, the, the whole dynamic of their team kind of changes and changes what he thinks he has to do from a, from a play caller standpoint to get, to get points in the end zone. And I, I don't think that'll, that'll change this week. I don't think it'll change in any game now until, you know, if, if the defense shows signs of it's, it's starting to, to improve and, and get better and make some stops. I mean, Missouri had 13 drives and they got eight, they got points on eight of them. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really high percentage. Now Purdue had a lot of drives and it, I think it was seven out of 13 or something like that. So they, they were able to do it, but um, you know, and, until the defense can come up with those, those consistent stops, he's going to still push the ball in the end zone as, as, as hard as he can. It's going to be interesting to see what they do offensively. I mean, you're coming out of a game where you just threw the crap out of the ball and piled up all these yards. But Jeff Brom stated, I think, correctly, that they kind of they didn't really have a choice. I mean, Missouri was going to move the ball. Missouri was going to put up points. You kind of have to counter that. I guess you have two options. You can either try to run the ball and make it a complete grind and try to just keep them off the field. But I don't think that was necessarily going to work. I know that Purdue had just had a nice rushing game against Eastern Michigan the week before. So I think the other choice you have is, hey, we're not going to get the ball that often, and we're not going to maybe have it for that much time. So we need to maximize. And written like and the, the receiver stepped up. I mean, this was maybe the most positive thing coming out of that game was if people like Terry Wright and Isaac Zico can replicate what you saw from them on Saturday, this offense kind of gains another dimension that you weren't necessarily seeing from them all last season when those guys were healthy and available or even in the first couple games this year. And I think that's going to be really important this week because Boston College is a run-first team. So you're – the number of possessions or the amount of time you're going to ha- potentially have the ball is 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 going to shrink. Uh, they want to run it first. They've got the line. They've got the back to do it. So you have to. The defense has to figure out a way to get off the field and not let them have five, six, seven minute drives where you're under the gun offensively to do something. Uh, so that that's the challenge this week and. It, Will 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 Jeff Brom stay as aggressive from a play calling standpoint as he did? I mean, I would as of right now, uh, I would expect David Blau still to be the quarterback, although Jeff really didn't come out and 
well, say it. it. It's it's a it's an interesting question because I think I, Elijah Sindelar was going to be the starter this past right. week from right. everything we hear and 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 things you see, and but then Blau comes out and has a game like this in a week where it doesn't sound like Sindelar was practicing really at the end. So how soon is he available? How much can he really go? Um, is he even available for the two quarterback scenario that they have used in the past, or do you kind of have to go with Blau as the hundred percent guy? Um, so I don't know. And, and how does that affect the team that's, that's game planning? Cause you're always kind of every team that, that game plans for Purdue has to be preparing for both quarterbacks. So maybe it's advantageous in the short term. I don't know. Right. Uh, I, I would fully expect David to start unless something happens to him this week. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll know, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, kind of Sindelar's situation, how much he, he's throwing or involved in practice. He didn't throw on Sunday. Uh, so, but it would just make 100% sense just to say, David, you got the hot hand. We need to ride you as, as, long, as, long, as, as long as they can because uh, you need that kind of production on offense to, to, to really keep up with the schedule that they play. I mean, you just – you don't – you had your breather against Eastern Eastern Michigan. He didn't take advantage of it. Now you're just in a in a dogfight every week to to trying to figure out. You know, you're going to come across teams that are going to have similar records as Purdue, that are struggling Purdue, but they're going to have more talent, and you're going to have to figure a way to beat that talent. And that's just that's just the way it is right now. After the game, Brom made some mention in passing and maybe Blau being nicked up a little bit too. Talked to Blau after the game. He said he was fine. Did you get any updates on that one? No, I mean, I think he. it's probably more of where the <laughs> normal wear and tear of a 60 minutes of Well, football. it's a normal wear and tear of throwing 55 times. It's okay. a normal wear and tear of a fifth-year senior that has, you know, had some uh, some issues mm-hmm. uh, before. I mean, if you go back to training camp in 2017, he – he was out for a couple of weeks with a shoulder uh, situation, so he's, you know, it's he's thrown a lot of passes in his career, and you keep doing the same motion over and over for however many years. Something's about, you know, it's not going to be perfect. You need a that's why you got to keep getting an oil change <laughs> in your car or, and stuff. But he he didn't he did not look like he was nicked up. Mm-hmm. On, on on Saturday. Now he he doesn't have the greatest arm strength when you compare him to Sindelar, right. but and he he would love to have that that throw back that was under underthrown on the on the trick play because that was a touchdown for mm-hmm. Purdue right mm-hmm. there. So yeah, and then he he checked down one too many times and got a earful another body part <laughs> earful from from Jeff Brom. Uh, so but it just it makes just perfect sense just to write him. But he's going to be if Sindelar is healthy and ready to go and available to be a backup. You know, David almost has to be perfect in this game because you get a couple turnovers and then Jeff's going to Jeff's going to pull him and he's going to he's going to put the next guy in there, assuming that it's Sindelar. Now, if it's if Sindelar is not ready to go and he, David has some turnovers, is he going to put in a Nick Sipe? or a Jack Plummer. I think Sype would be the next person up. Uh, so th- that would be kind of the interesting question if it unfolded like that on, on Saturday. You know, Blau had a game that I think is the game that will be it's, – it's like the David Blau game. That's how it's going to be remembered. I mean, throwing for school record yardage on, at, at a place that's 
I mean, it literally has a cradle of quarterbacks. Like, there's been some guys here who have thrown for some yards. Um, I, there's almost like a nature versus nurture question here. Because you're right that Blau doesn't have s- some of the physical tools. Sometimes I wonder when we say that, it makes it sound like he's some complete rag arm, and that's not the case. But you're, he doesn't have the, the, the deep ball ability that Elijah Sindelar has. But it, you could definitely see in that game a transformation kind of took place. And I, I just wonder how much of being a quarterback at this level, and, or maybe the way Jeff Brom thinks of being a quarterback at this level, how much of it is physical gifts and how much of it is sort of mentality and just having the um, cojones or whatever and going out there and, and just taking those risks sometimes or, or the calculated risks or having that sort of self-confidence in, in your ability to make those deep throws, even if you're not the prototypical guy who would be chucking it like that. Well, I think when you combine David Blau's smarts, his intelligence, his his knowledge of the game, and knowledge of the offense, and then you combine it with Jeff Brom's game planning, that's what you had last week. And and also Jeff giving, telling David, no, you need to do this. Don't be the checkdown guy. I mean, how how many people groan when it's third and ten? And you're checking down to a running back, and you right. get you get seven yards. Right. A lot of Washington <laughs> professional football fans. I heard that from over the weekend. By the way, some friends of the podcast were <laughs> perturbed. So, so but when you combine all those elements together, you can have a performance like you had against the right defense. You know, I think Boston College probably has a pretty solid defense, but can you can you achieve that kind of success? week in and week out. You know, I think with the combination of those two things, everything we said about David and then the way Jeff Brom can find holes in a defense, I think you have the potential to have big games through the air, not 572 yards every right. week. But Jeff also, the running game is, is going to be important because you do need to balance it out a little bit. And it's not as much uh, the number of uh, you know, it's probably more the number of plays that you run that you're trying to run as opposed to, to the yards that you get. I look at balance as far as the plays that you're calling, not really if you end up with 200 right. yards passing and 200 yards rushing, yes, you are balanced. But what? how many plays did it take you to get each each category? Correct. What are you calling? Right. So I, I would look for him to, to try to run the ball a little bit more this week. But you just get in the game, it's like, okay, what, what's working? At some point, you got to throw out some of the script and say, "Okay, what's working?" And that's that's kind of where you go. Well, again, also when you're down twenty-seven to ten, you don't really have it changes the options you have right. available to you at that stage of the game. You know, there was a time in David Blau's career where if you told me he was going to attempt fifty-five passes, I was going to assume four, five interceptions probably. And I thought, you know, I think last Saturday is going to be an outlier in terms of usage a little bit, but it also showed some of the progression that he's made throughout his career to where he, there was a time where he would, he was throwing for a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns, but it was coming at an expense. It was coming in much more inefficiently than what you saw on Saturday. And I, I, you know, I think maybe the key going forward for this offense is going to be the offensive line. They shaked it up a, a little, shook it up a little bit on Saturday. Interested to see what they do personnel wise going forward. But if those guys can protect enough, now all of a sudden you, if, and if Zico and Wright, continue on the you know build off of what they did last saturday there aren't a lot of teams out there even the really best ones in the big 10 they're going to consistently be able to cover those guys plus rondell moore 
plus two really good tight ends, plus whatever you're bringing out of the backfield, plus Blau can keep it himself and run and get something. I mean, it, it, it becomes a potentially really interesting offense, but they're still building towards that, and I think they've got to find a way to solidify that line play first. Yeah, I mean, 55 pass attempts and one sack, and that was yeah. that was a, just a – the sack was in the red zone where uh, Missouri just kind of beat Purdue's offensive line at that point. But other than that, he had a clean pocket. I mean, his, his mobility helps him in that situation where Sindelar is more of just drop back and let's survey the field. David, David does get out of the pocket a little bit and gives himself another second or two to, to, find, uh, to find the open receiver. I think the key for him is, though, is letting those uh, routes develop. Don't take the first one when he knows that there might be a tight end at the second level or another receiver at the second level. But you've got to have confidence that that's going to happen, and that right. hasn't always it, been there. It, it, no, it hasn't always been there, but I do think they take confidence out of last week mm-hmm. knowing that they, they were, you know, again, 55 pass attempts and one sack. That's, that's, to me, that's impressive that you're not. And that he's not, he wasn't on the ground a lot more than what he was. And plus, you know, he brings the element of running. You know, the, 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 the way he was able to escape there late in the first half and get to 21 yards down to the inside the five. Uh, to get him the touchdown to pull within three was was a big run and that's 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 the uh, other element that he gives you that maybe some of your other quarterbacks don't you know I think sometimes we as media and fans also we see whether or not throws are going downfield and we assume that that's a conscious choice that they're making for some reason not to throw the ball downfield and we need to remember sometimes that it's it's more complicated than that and, you know, we've all got friends that we trust more than other friends, just as they have teammates that they trust more than other teammates. It's it's a little bit um, more concrete for them. I mean, you can go prove something in practice and, okay, now I'll take that shot. And like I said, I think they're in the process of that happening. The problem is, looking back at the first three games, that if that had been hashed out in August, maybe it wins you one more game in September, and now, now they're sitting at only. I think the key this week is it does Tico and Wright do the same things they did last week. Right. They're going to get opportunities because there is, as you said, there's a, there's a, you're you're gaining confidence in them a little bit more each time. So if they do if they do the same things that they did, and the tight ends are still involved, then then this offense is truly, I think, moving in a direction that um, can win you a game, even though your defense continues to to struggle and give up give up points. And also, one thing, when you bring up the tight ends, it made me think of something from earlier. Yes, they got a bad break on the Jared Sparks touchdown that wasn't a touchdown, but they got a really favorable break on the ball that bounces into Bryson Hopkins' hands, which is still one of the more improbable balls in the Big Ten this year. Usually usually at the end of the year, all this stuff evens out. It doesn't even out in the game. Right. But at the end of the year, it it usually does even out. So Purdue's got one more non-conference game against Boston College, and then they, they, you know, the Big Ten season for them starts in earnest because they've already played the one Northwestern game. But I want to kind of touch base on the Big Ten because, you know, coming into this season, I think there was a lot of thought that there might be three or four teams at the end of this that could be in that making some kind of push to be in that playoff conversation. And three weeks in, I think people are a little bit underwhelmed by what they've seen, especially at the top of the Big Ten. I know you in particular, um, I think you selected Michigan State as maybe the team that was going to be the team to beat here. 
and they're one of the teams that already has a loss. They do, but I'm, I'm still I'm still high on the Spartan. Still on the Spartan train. Yeah, I'm still on the Spartan train. Haven't checked off yet. Um, you know, they have a big game at IU this week. I mean, Indiana three and IU three and O with to me three and O with uh, three wins that are good for that program. Florida mm-hmm. one was on the road. Florida International beat an ACC team at home in Virginia and took care of a Ball State team that pushed Notre Dame uh, to the limit. So I, I think those are three good wins for that program. They they just have to figure out how to win games against the East, and that's right. not a <laughs> that's not an easy easier said than done easier thing, but they would appear to be match, matching up well against Michigan State. And I'm really curious about Michigan State this week. Coming off the loss to Arizona State by week, you jump right into Big Ten play. How's that? How are the Spartans going to look? To me, that's probably the most intriguing thing of this week that's going to happen on the field other than Urban Meyer coming back <laughs> to coach the, the Buckeyes and trying to figure out what, what life is with him. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it, last week was just a really bad week for the big 10 from top to bottom, Wisconsin losing to BYU the way they did. Uh, and then just at the bottom of the league, you just have a lot of, you know, pieces that are just, you know, produced in that group, uh, where self-inflicted wounds or whatever, but Rutgers going to Kansas and getting, giving up 55 and losing is just completely unacceptable. Um, you know, yeah. Illinois played played tough, had a lead, but couldn't hold on. You know, Nebraska losing at home to Troy was was bad. Uh, even without their starting quarterback, they should have enough to to beat a beat Troy. Even I know I know Troy went to LSU last year and won. I mean, it's a program that pulls those kind of surprises. But that's that's kind of the tough transition that Nebraska's going through. I, I thought that. Scott Frost would come in, and he, it still might happen this year, that he'd kind of have a similar impact that Brom had in his first year where, you know, I think the fan base was excited. I think they still are, but you would see, oh, okay, that's it, going to happen. Mm-hmm. But this could be the year they could have their rebuilding year right now, and then better things will wait uh, uh, down the line. But, you know, Northwestern's in a bad spot after losing to Duke and – Akron at home gave up three defensive touchdowns to Akron. I mean, that's that's almost <laughs> unheard of. You know, you have to work to do that. Yeah. And then in the in the meantime, you have Iowa just kind of taking care of business, doing and, what Iowa does. Yeah. Kind of Penn State after they struggled against Appalachian State, you know, did the things that they needed to do. They've got Ohio State in a couple weeks, and that's going to be a big big game early in the Big Ten. Still not. Uh, still not confident in Michigan in a big game situation and their offense being able to 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 get enough done. I think that's that's been the uh, the theme of of the program since Harbaugh came, and I don't uh, I I don't see it changing right now. Uh, they got Nebraska this week. I'm not sure if that if that's going to fall under the category of you know if they put up some big numbers. You know they they need to do it against Michigan State. And they need to do it against Ohio State. And those those are two big games for them uh, coming up down the line. You know, Maryland, nice win against Texas, even though it's not Texas of yeah. before. But then you lose to a winless tem- Temple team at home by by a lot. It's just it's a it's a weird. It's the Big Ten, and they deserve the criticism <laughs> they're they're kind of getting right now. I mean, to me, it goes back to that bell curve we were talking about before. You know, yes, Troy has 
put itself on the map a little bit. But if you lose at home to Troy, then you're not at the good end of the bell curve. You're just probably in that middle. Or if you lose at home to Temple or anywhere to Temple, you're just kind of in the middle. If you're Illinois and you've got third and 20 in the at the end of the game and you're leading and you give up a 50-yard touchdown, that's the difference between being at the bottom of the bell curve or maybe working your way into that middle. And um, that's, I guess, and yeah, that's the way I look at it. But those, that's, that's the thing. Most teams are just in the middle. They're going to, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose, and it's just a slog. There are very few of those really elite teams. I, I don't know. Maybe Michigan State can still prove that they belong there in Ohio State. Maybe Penn State can prove that Appalachian State was kind of just a, an outlier. Uh, we're only three games in, but, you know, we'll see. I, I do think that the, the, the Wisconsin loss was bad for the Big Ten just because I think that's a program that nationally people already had some esteem for. And then to lose a game like that at home um, sabotages a lot of things, not just for them, but potentially, potentially for the program just because that was a team that already has some, some pole love and all that stuff built in a little bit well I, I maybe think, it's unfair to look at things sorry maybe it's unfair to look at things completely from the prism of the playoff but i think we have to be well i think if we, if you're wisconsin ohio state michigan state um that's how you look at your season right that's you what, what else are you yeah. yeah that's what you're shooting for if you're purdue you're, you're not looking at that but i what I, what this could do for purdue if they do get itself straightened out there are there are probably more opportunities than than i thought that they, they're they're going to have to sneak one, to, to sneak sneak one, maybe two. It, again, if they can straighten themselves out, you know, you, you know, Jeff's all about one game seasons and all that coach speak stuff, and I and I get that. But if you somehow, if you can win this week, and then you can go to Nebraska and win, mm-hmm. two big challenges, by the way. I mean, huge challenges. Yeah. yeah. But then you get Illinois after a bye week. You potentially, and it's it's a big if. You could be three and three at the halfway mark. So in some ways, you could you could recover to some extent, but after that, you got Ohio State, you got Michigan State, but it does give you if you somehow get to the halfway point at, at three and three, you look at the second half schedule and think there are potentially three wins there. I mean your your margin. Yeah. I mean your margin for error is at zero right now, but if somehow you can get to three. After that Illinois game, you are you put yourself in a position to to make that to make the second half of your schedule meaningful. You you cannot make that second half of the schedule meaningful if you're zero and five going into Illinois. I, I just there's just no way. No, I mean, you, well, it, it's it, it'll be meaningful in terms of what you're building for the program and getting young guys experience and all that stuff, but you, you, you won't be playing for a postseason bird. No. And you're already, I think you're very, very close to that situation already. Really realistically, because if you think if, if there are three games on the schedule that you think are, would be big upsets to win. And that's Ohio state, Michigan state and Wisconsin. If you consider all three of those games would be take big upsets for Purdue to win them. They have to run the table in all of the other six games right now to make a postseason berth. If they lose, to Boston College or Missouri, or to Nebraska, I should say, then that means they have to pull one of those upsets now and still win all the rest of the games. It's just the math becomes really hard. But we've seen other teams make similar runs like that. Like we were saying earlier, Purdue is not that far away from being 1-2, and 2-1, and 3-0. I mean, they could easily have at least one win by now. Um, so maybe maybe they can steal one. It's just that's where this is where the Eastern Michigan loss really hurts you because, like you say, it just takes – 
all of the all that margin for error and, and throws it in the trash. I think the other thing I'm curious to watch this week, you know, Purdue's been in every game, but is there a game coming up where it just it completely gets away from them? Right. And the Missouri game was almost that game where they're down 27 to 10. Does a similar situation happen this week or potentially next week at Nebraska where it just it gets away from you and you lose by three, four touchdowns? And then, then you really have a situation on your hands as far as, okay, you got you know, you to keep things together type of thing. But if they continue to battle back like they did against Northwestern and, and Missouri, I, I think that's going to be a trademark of Jeff's team's wherever he coaches, you know, Purdue fans hope it's here for a long time. Well, they did. <laughs> well, I think they still do. I think Louisville beating Western Kentucky was a, was a, was a good thing uh, for everyone. Uh, but I think that's going to be a trademark of his teams. And we, we've seen that enough in these first three games that I would find that really hard to go away. That, that something like that would just go away in a moment. Um, yeah. You know, it's possible, but I, I would be, I'd be really shocked if it went away uh, from 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 this team. Also, I do think if if Purdue is zero and five going into that Illinois game, now all of a sudden you're you're going to face a team that probably is also looking for a win and is going to be very alert and ready for that game to be possibly their chance to finally break. So it just the sooner that Purdue can get a win, it can it can really start to change the narrative of the season going forward. Um, Anything real quickly that you want to say about Boston College, the Tuesday afternoon thumbnail? Sketch? Well, they're just, I mean, they're a solid team. They want to run it first. I think, as uh, we mentioned earlier, a uh, really good running back in A.J. Dillon. Uh, leads the ACC in rushing, and he's fifth nationally. And, you know, he's averaging about 144 yards a game. I, I do think Purdue probably has played a, a tougher schedule uh, in the first three games compared to Boston College. They, um, they they beat uh, they beat Wake Forest last week. Uh, they beat Holy Cross, and I think they beat uh, UMass. If that, yep, that's right. Uh, so Wake I, Forest I, was on the road. Yeah, that was a forty-one thirty-four game last Thursday. Okay. Um, so uh, I, I think Purdue probably has been challenged a little bit more um, than, than than Boston College. But if you're good enough, you're good enough. And they have, you know, they have a nice quarterback, and Anthony Brown, who's completing about sixty-nine percent of his passes. He had a big game last week against Wake Forest, uh, so they are they can come at you a couple different ways, but they are a run-first type of team. And then defensively, they got a really good defensive end. Uh, I believe his name is uh, Wyatt Ray. He was uh, National Player of the Week last week, and he had four sacks uh, by himself. Uh, so it's probably he's probably better than the guy they faced from East, Eastern Michigan, Max Crosby, uh, who who got in and did some damage against he was Purdue. Very disruptive. Yeah. Uh, so you know that's a guy that that they're going to have to keep an eye on, uh, in, in what they're doing, you know, offensively. But I, I would probably view Boston College as just kind of a good, solid football team. They're they're probably not going to be very flashy. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna play physical. I think they're 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 corners and secondary. Uh, they're confident enough, and they're athletic enough to probably play tighter coverage than than maybe what Purdue has seen in the first in the first three games. Uh, so you know that make that puts a little bit more pressure on uh, on the quarterbacks to to be more precise with their throws, but also for the for the uh, for the receivers to to run the right routes and uh, and let those routes develop as well. But you know we you know Rondell was 
had a nice game last week. Targeted 13 times, caught 11, which is a really good percentage. Uh, you know, Boston College has to account for him. And as we've we've seen after that first game, you know, Eastern Michigan put a put a guy over the top of him. You know, Missouri probably didn't do it as much as they they should have because he was able to get free and do some things. But um, this will be, this will be a very difficult test for Purdue. There's just there's just no no way around it. I mean, this is you know Boston College is ranked for the first time in like eleven years. They're looking for their first four and zero start, probably in the same time frame. You know, they're they're looking at bigger things, trying to make an impact in the ACC, and they they really can't afford to come into into West Lafayette and lose because I think that would zap a lot of their momentum that 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 they had built in these first three games. You know, we talk so much about things from the team perspective because it's a, at the end of the day, it's a team game. But it seems like these next nine games, Purdue's success is going to really be determined a lot by some guys winning more of these individual battles. And it kind of starts with going against someone like Wyatt Ray. Does whoever he's matched up with on the offensive line win that battle more often than not? Just little things like that. You start to see it from the receivers last week. But once you start seeing it more from this defensive line, more consistently from the offense, offensive line, then I think you start to see this team win some of these games that they're on the verge of winning. Well, and that's the, whole, that's the whole point of what Jeff's doing in recruiting getting more talented guys to win those one-on-one matchups. And that's, you know, if he, if he can fill out his 2019 recruiting class with exactly who he wants, then you're going to see a big upgrade in talent. I think the guys they have committed right now are, are, are good enough to come in and, and, and in, some, in some places help them next year, not as a starter but as, as part of a rotation. But they're more talented guys. They're, they're viewed more favorably than what – you know some of the previous recruiting classes have been and you have Rondell right now and you added a couple of receivers that are ranked as high as Rondell and have the similar talent then you you open up so many things and you know I think right probably right now what they're looking at is just trying to load up that defensive line with as many bodies as they can and you combine that with the experience that Giovanni Rivera and Anthony Watts and um, Kai Higgins, and you know you got another another year of Lorenzo Neal. You combine the experience they're getting this year with what you got coming in. When when you start rotating eight nine guys in there, you're you're not seeing any. The drop off is going to be minimal at that point. You're going to get you should be getting the same production out of out of those guys. Not to put too much pressure on you know freshmen that are coming in looking to contribute, but that's kind of where Purdue's at right now. Well, that's all for this edition of Boilers Extra, but stay tuned for the post-game edition that we'll bring to you Saturday afternoon, or Saturday early Saturday evening, I should say. Another noon kickoff against Boston College on Saturday for homecoming, correct? Yeah, it is homecoming, so So, it should be a decent crowd. um, Good good day for football. I haven't looked at the long-range weather forecast, so I don't know if, if, if we're due for rain this week. I'm I'm not sure either, but either way, um, we will be there uh, podcasting from the truck in the parking lot. Um, I'm Nathan Baird. You can follow me on Twitter at NBairdJC. He's Mike Carmen. He covers the football team on a day-to-day basis, so you should follow him at Carmen underscore JC, and we will talk to you again on Saturday.